You may have heard of the TV reality show called Flip This House. In that show, a camera crew follows people around as they buy houses and flip them, meaning that they buy a house that needs a lot of work, that needs things done to it, and they fix it up, make it look new, and sell it for a profit. You know the unique thing about those people? When they drive by a house or a property, they don't see it the same way we do. We look at it and see an old, dusty, worn-out house. They look at it and see potential. I'm in my good friend David and Cheryl Wilson's house. They bought this house about a year ago. It was old. It was outdated. It was musty. Things needed torn out, repainted, and fixed up. But they didn't buy it for what it was. They bought it for what it could be. David's done that with several different houses over the past few years. You and I would pass it over because of what it is, but he saw potential. In the same way, you might look at your life today and think it's a mess. Maybe you think to yourself, I've messed up, I've made mistakes, I've, I've hurt people, I've been hurt, I've, I've misspent time. Well, you need to know that God doesn't see your life for what it is today. When He looks at your life, He sees the potential. He sees what could be and what should be in your life. When you read the teachings of Jesus, you see that people were constantly coming up to Him who were messed up. And somehow, through their interaction with Christ, they left feeling better. There was a woman who had a conversation with Jesus who had been in relationship after relationship. A man who was basically a thief. A woman who was caught up in an immoral lifestyle. All of them left the presence of Jesus feeling better and understanding that their life was not wrapped up in now. But Jesus saw them for what they could be and what they should be. He sees your life the same way. No matter what your house looks like, whether you're single, single again, empty nest, or in the middle of raising kids, God sees tremendous potential in you. He sees your life for what it could be. God wants to bring value to your life. Yeah, there's going to be some things that need to be moved around, redone, torn out, and even fixed up, but you were created for more. In this series, Flip This House, Over the next three weeks, we're going to be talking about some principles that will help you turn your house upside down and be the kind of person, husband, wife, son, daughter that you were created to be. Through the teachings of the Bible, we'll learn to see our life not for what it is, but for what it should be and what we were created to be. I'm excited about the next few weeks as all of us take the challenge to flip this house. When I was a little boy, I remember walking from my grandmother's house to my house, to my cousin's house. And in that quarter mile walk, there would be people sitting on their front porches. Not quite Mayberry, but close. I remember my my friend Rex and his family would be sitting on their front porch and they had a swimming pool and I would always hope that they would ask me to come out back and go swimming. Then I'd walk up the road a little bit further and Mr. and Mrs. Spence would be out on their front porch and they had this huge apple tree in their front yard and when the apples were in season, occasionally she would yell to me and she would say, why don't you come and climb up in the tree and pick some apples? And I would do that and stay up in that tree till my stomach ached. Then I would walk up the road just a little bit further and go to this old, go by this old lady's house who sat on her front porch in a rocking chair. Everybody said she was 100 years old. And she sat there smoking a pipe and chewing tobacco. She never asked me if I wanted any of it. But you've probably had experiences like that in your life. But when I walk through my neighborhood where I live, I notice that most houses, they don't even have front porches. 
Something's changed. You know what it's called? It's called the back deck and the privacy fence. It's taken us into our own little world and we put up our big privacy fences to keep out our noisy neighbors. But you know, it's a lot more than a front porch or a back porch. It's many people today feeling alone. In our world that's more connected than ever before, you're able to get in touch with people easier than ever before. But in survey after survey, more and more people feel alone in spite of being around more people and having unlimited ways to stay connected. If you're living life alone, you need to know that you're outside of what God intended. You may see your life as lonely and disconnected, but God sees your potential. Your potential to live in community and in deep relationship with each other. You might say, well, I've tried relationships and they blew up in my face and it didn't work out. And you're right, sometimes it doesn't work out. But the alternative is not loneliness. The alternative is to continue to be what God created you to be. In the first century, the church understood the importance of not being alone. You open up your New Testament, you can read in the book of Acts how people spent their lives together. They didn't have front porches in that culture, but if they had, I think they would have been on them. Getting to know each other, getting to know their neighbors, building relationships to be who they were created to be. Listen to how the first century Christ followers interacted with each other. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. And in Acts chapter 4, it says, All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of his possessions was his own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and much grace was upon them all. There were no needy persons among them. From time to time, those who owned lands or sold houses brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone as he had need. That's a first century snapshot of how they lived their lives in a way that kept them from loneliness. They had daily opportunities to connect with each other and live the way God created all of us to live, in relationship with other people. I wish you guys could have actually seen the house that he was in, uh, the Wilson's house. I mean, I've seen uh, people rehab a house before, but you could not tell that the house that he was in, you couldn't tell from what it looked like before. I mean, even from the outside, it was completely restored. In fact, it looks like they bulldozed it and rebuilt a new one, but it, it, they didn't. They restored it. And that's kind of that picture that we're looking for here is that when God comes along, it, it's not like he wipes us out and starts over, but the finished product is so radically different from what we started with that you wouldn't even recognize the two. Well, I know that when Donnie was telling us about what we're doing here this Sunday, which is talking about the front porch, and, and it's about community, about small groups, and he said, boy, I, I think some of the folks in the crowd are going to go like, oh, not another message on small groups and getting into community. But that's exactly what you got this morning. Another message on small groups and community. And there's a reason for that. And that's because it is so vital and important. 
I mean, I can promise you that you will never experience the fullness of what God has intended for you. In fact, you won't even begin to really uh, even exp- tap into the, you know, even a fraction of it if you are not engaged in relationships with other people, not only in this church, but also in your community. And uh, I know some of you, you hear that and you're going, I've been there, done that, been burned. I, I think I'm going to just sit on the outside and if somebody just comes along that I think would really be a great person to connect with, then, then maybe I'll hesitantly jump in. But you can't do that. You, this is not one of these things that you ease into. You have to just, you got to do a cannonball. You got to jump into it. And sometimes it's messy, but it is so important. And without it, you'll never experience the purpose and the meaning that God has for you. You know, when we were talking about this message, Donnie told me about a book that he had read called The Shack by William Young. And uh, I, I'm not even familiar with the entire story. I, at, at some point, Mac in his, in, in his life goes through this terrible set of circumstances. And he, he ends up in this conversation between God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit. And there's this one line from there that is just perfect. He says, I suppose that since most of our hurts come through relationships, so will our healing. And I know that rarely makes sense for those looking in from the outside. But that statement right there, that is a true statement. Yeah, a lot of your pain and your hurts come from other people. But that's also from where your healing comes as well. So we have to realize that <coughs> when we section ourselves off from God, or when we section ourselves off from other people, when we say, you know what, it's just, I like God, I like Jesus, I don't know if I like these people, and I'm going to stick with him, I'm going to come on, on Sunday morning, and I'm going to take it, I'm going to read my Bible, but as for the people, we're just going to, we're going to keep a little barrier there. Well, the problem is, is that as soon as you section yourself off from other people, you immediately section yourself off from God. In fact, John, who was one of Jesus' most beloved followers, he once said that if you say that you love God, but yet you don't love people, then you are a liar and the truth is not in you. Because without relationships with other people, without investing in them, you can't experience all of who God is and what God wants for you. And part of the reality of this is that most of the time, I mean, there, there are times where God can come down and give you a spiritual sense of his peace. Just you alone, you're going through a trial and you just feel something. Or you read something from the scriptures. Or you maybe have some type of miraculous provision. But most of the time, the way that God is going to show his love for you is through other people. Other people come along and encouraging you. Other people come along and supporting you in a time of, of hard times. Other people coming along and saying, hey, I noticed some things in your life here. How's everything going? You know, keeping you accountable. That's the way it works. And of course, what's the other, the flip side to this is that if God is going to do his work in the world, who's he going to do it through? How's he going to show love to your neighbor, to your coworker? He's put you in their life, in their path for a reason so that he can express his love to other people through you. Well, Pastor Donnie, as he was laying this out, talked about the picture of the front porch versus the back deck. And when we start to look at at the back deck, the first thing that you have is the benefit of privacy, right? I mean, we've got the, the big, tall privacy fence and, and, you know, 
we wall ourselves off. I know the, the house that I just moved from, not only did we have a tall privacy fence, but we had trees. So literally, we could hide out in our backyard, and nobody could even see us or know that we were back there. Now, the privacy fence in that back deck, they do two things. One of the things is that they, they protect you from other people. And other people are messy. I mean, they got problems and issues, and they're difficult to deal with. And you start to mess with them, and suddenly they, they may ask things of you. Or not only that, but they just got personality quirks that at least initially you didn't realize they had it, but after you hung out with them for a while, now you don't really want to hang out with them as much. And so the nice thing about that thing is you just you keep your distance. You don't have to get involved in all of their messiness. And in fact, in life, don't we, we see our societies doing this all the time? I mean, it used to be that you had to um, agree as a family as to what you were going to watch on TV. But not today. We've got multiple TVs, right? And they all got, you know, DVRs. And, and everybody goes up into their own separate rooms and watches what they want. Or, or kids used to have to share rooms. Well, now they've got houses that are big enough that they can have their own place. You know, I think about when I was uh, in college, I had what I thought at the time was the benefit of a dorm room that was private. I mean, that's pretty rare. You know, it just worked out that I, I had the place to myself. I thought that was wonderful. But I'll tell you, in retrospect, I missed out on, on that year. I missed out on a lot, a, a lot of messiness, a lot of things that I, I wouldn't have liked having to go through. But what a benefit that would have been in my life to have to not be so selfish and have to, to be a little bit more open and honest. I can't tell you how many marriages that I've seen that, that haven't fallen apart, at least, you know, you wouldn't know it right now. You know, they're couples that you see all the time and they're still together. But if you went to their house, you'd find that they live in separate rooms with separate TVs, separate bathrooms. Because they just, they can't live with one another anymore. The other thing that it does is that that privacy fence not only keeps us from the messiness of other people, but it, it also keeps us from revealing who we are. You know, we can go through life and just put on that mask. You know, the first impression, you know, I, I mean, hey, I'm the pastor. I've got this perfect life. My kids are perfect, and, and my wife is perfect, and we just, we, we sit and pray and read scripture, and every day is just wonderful, right? But I don't want you coming over to my house and spending any time over there, lest you find out that that's not the case. And in fact, that means if you come over to my house, it's really hard work because i got to kind of keep all this stuff in and, and keep the baggage from slipping out. See, that's another reason. How many of you like watching yourself on video camera? Like watching tapes of that? You know? I, when we, whenever I get to speak, I, I get to, you know, it, it's out there. I, I, I should listen to it and try to get better, right? But I cannot hardly bring myself to listen to myself speak. Why is that? Because suddenly we go, I didn't think I looked like that. I didn't think I sounded like that. Right? But see, when you gauge in community and you're with other people, well, suddenly people are going to mention to you over time, especially if it starts to irritate them enough. And they're going to start to speak into your life. But isn't that ultimately really a good thing? I mean, how else are we going to change? How else are we going to become what God wants us to be without that? I think another thing is just pure independence. You know, I want to go through this life and I, I don't need you. I don't need people. I can pull myself up by my own bootstraps. I, I don't need to have, you know, other people in my life. I can do it myself. But yet that goes contrary to what God said. 
In fact, in the very beginning, when this all gets started and we're laying out the account of creation, what does God do? He says he creates light, right? Separates the heavens, all of that. And he looks and he says, ah, this is good. He pulls the waters together, dry land, good. He starts to create sea animals, fills the, the seas with, with living creatures, good. Land, same thing. All kinds of creatures, a multitude of creatures, good. And then he creates man, and he says, bad. And I know some of you ladies are going, amen. But that's not exactly what he said. He actually said that it is not good for man to be alone. It's the first time he looked at his creation and said, ah, something's not right here. We, in the innate way that our creator created us, have a desperate need for community, for connecting with other people. It's built in. And when we don't experience it, bad things happen. Really bad things. In fact, Scientists and doctors have studied this and they have found that if you separate yourself from other people, your health will dramatically decrease. Your blood pressure will go up. Your stress level, even when you finally are around people or you're just dealing with just normal stressors that other people are dealing with, you can't handle it as well because you don't have connections and friendships. And I don't suppose to really fully understand how this works. I mean, some of it just, it's almost mysterious, but it's just the way it is. When you see older couples and one of them passes away, it is shocking how quickly, within a one-year span of time, their mate ends up passing away as well. It's just, we are, we are built to have connections with other people. And when we separate those things, we start to, start to literally disintegrate. All right, that's the picture of what it's like to live your life on the back deck with the privacy fence surrounding you. But what's it like to go out your front door and to start to live on the front porch where you can see other people and other people can see you? Well, instead of privacy, suddenly you now have openness, right? You you see that your neighbor is struggling. I know that my neighbor, uh, her husband's gonna go away to Iraq for uh, about a year, a little over a year coming up here in the next few months. So she's going to be without her husband. And if I'm sitting out on my front porch, I'm going to see her come by and be lonely. I'm going to see her struggling with things. Because I'm sitting on that front porch and I see the issue she's going with, I'm going to feel a draw to find some time to come over and help her out with what she needs. Same thing with my wife. Suddenly you see the needs of other people. But this is ultimately a wonderful thing. Because not only do you begin to invest and help them out, but as you begin to to help other people out, and suddenly your world isn't consumed with your own problems, but also with the people who are living right next door to you or you're working with, do you know what happens to your problems in that kind of environment? They shrink. Like they, they just get smaller. The amount of time you spend in worrying about them gets smaller. Suddenly, sometimes some of them can go away. They were completely so insignificant compared to other things that are going on that they're gone. And suddenly you realize what Jesus said when he says, it is better to give than to receive. Well, of course, in this process too, as you engage with other people, yeah, your your warts will be shown. And like we already said, you will start to experience change. 
you'll feel a sense of, of, of needing to change. You'll feel like, oh, that comment was kind of out of line. I need to watch myself. Or oh, people aren't responding to me the way that I, I think they should. Now, that's hard. I mean, th- this stuff is not easy stuff. There's a reason why people like to keep barriers. There's also a reason why they feel miserable on the other side. But the world on the other side, when you start to grow and to change, is wonderful. There is a sense of peace that comes over you. Your life starts to have meaning and purpose. And you start to, to really love people and to, and to feel the love of others. And that's just a very, very powerful thing. A very powerful thing. It, many of you are familiar with the man named Paul. Started as Saul. And, and when he became a follower of Jesus, he changed his name to Paul. Extremely intelligent man. In fact, uh, a good chunk of our New Testament is written by Paul. And uh, he, he spent his life, after he accepted Jesus, just going out and teaching people about him planting churches. That's what he was. He was a a church planner. And so he had all these connections in all these different cities. And uh, a lot of times when we think about Paul, we we think about um, theological doctrine, you know, all these kind of heady things because Paul was just such a smart guy and he liked to think through a lot of things. But he wasn't just a heady theologian. He was a lover of people. And just as he he was involved in, in killing people, killing Christians, when he finally became a Christ follower, the love that he had for others and that others had for him was just deep. And you can see it in his letters. And I just, I want to read to you when he was writing a letter to the church in in Thessalonica. Uh, In chapter two, he writes these words. He says, as an apostle of Christ, we could have been a burden to you. He's talking about the time that he went on this missionary journey. He says, we could have been a burden to you But we were gentle among you, like a mother caring for her little children. We loved you so much that we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well, because you had become so dear to us. I just love that picture. He says, I came out because, yeah, I I love you in general. You're kind of the big crowd here. I don't know all your names. And I I just want to teach you about Jesus. But in the process of doing it, We drew close, and suddenly we started living our lives together. Our lives became bound with one another. Then Paul, he goes on a little bit later in that same chapter. He says, but brothers, when we were torn away from you for a short time, in person, not in thought. We weren't near you, but you were always in our thoughts. That never stopped. Out of our intense longing, we made every effort to see you. For we wanted to come to you. Certainly I, Paul, did again and again. But Satan stopped us. For what is our hope, our joy, or the crown in which we will glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus when he comes? Is it not you? Indeed, you are our glory and our joy. How good to be loved by other people. To know that there are people who are concerned about you, thinking about you. But even far greater than that is to love other people so much, to be so concerned about them, to be involved and connected in their life, to know that you are investing in them. Because you see, there is coming a day when, when all these things that are here are going to wipe away. And the cars, the homes, 
the, the plans, everything that you set out. And when you finally get to heaven, you're going to have Jesus there. You're still going to have his word. And you're going to have people. The people that you invested in. The people that you loved. The people that are literally there because you allowed God to work through you to invest in other people. And that's why Paul says when that day comes and we are standing before him, you are our crown. You are, you are our hope. You're the reason why we do what we do. There's no greater feeling than that. And there's no greater power than God working through you. And that is why we urge and we compel you to jump into community. Heavenly Father, you are so good and so loving to us. And you have built us with this need for community. And I just pray right now that, that your Holy Spirit would move in this room. That you would prompt and draw each person to step in to community and to look forward to it and to fully engage in this next six weeks so that they can fully experience everything that you have intended for their life. That they might be used by you, useful tools in the building of your kingdom. It is in the powerful name of Jesus that we pray. Amen.